And now for something completely different. I don't. 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 Hey, Don, how come you're so cantankerous today? By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am GamerDude. Good to see you again. Thanks for joining me one more time for some more stories. We've got stories today about radio. I'm sure the title was a dead giveaway. <laughs> but radio is one of my first loves. I've loved reading since I could read, and I've loved radio since I could listen to the radio. And uh, one of my earliest uh, podcasts was about my love for radio and how I loved Gene Shepard and how he kind of got me into radio. Well, I guess he didn't get me into radio, but he got me interested in radio because of his storytelling and the things that he always talked about on the air. But what really got me into radio, meaning I wanted to be part of radio, was uh, a, a disc jockey named Howard Stern. I'm sure you've heard of him. Stern is still on satellite radio. I still think he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest radio personalities ever to grace the airwaves. There are mixed emotions about Howard Stern. Howard was a shock jock, is a shock jock, but he has matured over the years. And if you haven't listened to him recently, I would highly recommend it because while he still does a lot of the silly, crazy dirty, nasty stuff that he used to do. It's in a more mm, mature way. I guess that's the best way to put it, right? Um, but more importantly, he has become one of the best interviewers in all of broadcasting. I don't know if you remember who ba Barbara Walters was, but she could interview people and get them to cry at the drop of a hat. Howard gets people to talk about things that you wouldn't expect them to talk about. And I could go on and on about Howard, and maybe I will in another podcast, but this episode is about my trip into radio and how I got there, why I got there, and what I did in it. Now, as a, as a preamble to all of this, uh, I've been going through uh, my cassette tapes because when I was on the air, I used to do what are called air checks. I would run a, a small cassette tape uh, to record my air shifts as I was doing them both to listen to what I was doing, to try to improve myself, to see what I was doing right, to see what I was doing wrong. And also, when you're in radio, you're always looking for the next job. So I would take some of my bits and, and save them onto tapes, and I would create master reels and master cassettes of all of the bits that I thought were my best. Now, as you guys know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a twitch older than a lot of you. So these tapes go back many, 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 many years. One thing I've learned in my years in radio and working with audio, tapes don't last. They degrade. And sadly, that's what's happened with a lot of the air checks that I have. And I'll, I'll talk about those in a little bit. But in preparation for what I'm going to present a little further on in the podcast, I've, I've tried to salvage a couple of the bits because I've talked about this on my Twitch stream and people have expressed an interest in hearing what I used to do on the radio. And sadly, I'm having a very difficult time putting my hands on things that are really audible, that you can really appreciate what I was doing and what I was saying and the sound quality that I had back then because I love good radio. I love great sound quality. I, I put effects and music and sounds together to make it sound like something really good. And everything that I have right now sounds like it's muddy water, 
dragged through dirt and rolled in flour, and it's just horrible sounding. And I, I'm almost ashamed to even try to, to present it to you. But I know people want to hear it, so I'm torn between my desire to give you the best sound quality that I have and my pride in not putting out a crappy product. So I've salvaged two bits as best I can. I've been working on them in Audacity. I've been trying to compress them and remove a lot of the noise and clear up some of the muddiness. And and I've done a little bit on a couple of bits that are the most salvageable. So I'll save those for the end of the podcast. But before I get to that, let me talk to you about how I got to radio. When I went away to college, um, one of the things that I went to school for was journalism. And part of the journalism class was writing news stories, both for newspapers. Yes, there were still newspapers back then. And uh, for radio broadcast. And it's a different kind of writing if you're writing for somebody who's reading it, as opposed to somebody who's listening to it be read to them on the air. It's a different style of writing. It's a different technique that's used. And I had to learn both of those as part of the journalism classes that I was taking. As an aside, I didn't graduate with a journalism major, but that's a story for another podcast. For purposes of this podcast, I was really into the journalistic writing, so I learned how to write both uh, copy for the air and copy for newspapers. One of the things that I discovered was I really wanted to try getting on the air, so I volunteered at the college radio station. And um, one of the things that I volunteered for was a news shift. So what you would have to do with a news shift is you would have to get in the morning and the shift started at 6 a.m. So I would have to read the 6 a.m. news, which meant, of course, that I had to be there at the station long before 6 a.m. So I could pull the news wire copy off of the teletype. And if these are phrases that you don't know, you can Google them. But we used to have a teletype machine in the studio and you would pull the news stories off of it and then you'd have to summarize it into a way that was readable. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the term rip and read, but some radio stations would have newscasters who did nothing more than rip and read, meaning they would rip the paper off the teletype machine, go sit down in the microphone, and read it just as it was written. There's a danger to that. There's several dangers to that. Number one, it's lazy. So you never know how to read a news story, analyze it, and get the salient points out of it, and summarize it for people who may not just want to hear what the wire service had to say. The second danger is if there's misprints or mistakes or anything wrong in the copy that comes off of the teletype and you're just sitting down at a microphone to read it, you're going to be reading those mistakes live on the air. And there's nothing more embarrassing than reading something or saying something that's simply incorrect or trying to decipher something that's misspelled because you've been too lazy to read the copy ahead of time and write down your story. So those are the things that I was learning, and we were never ripping readers at the radio station that I worked at. So I I still, to this day, remember my first radio shift. I had to get to the radio station at 6 a.m., well, for the 6 a.m. shift, before 6 a.m., and I met the disc jockeys, and they showed me where the teletype was, and then I put to use my three-week-old journalistic skills of how to write a news story based on what's on the teletype. Now, I had to do that with the knowledge that whatever I was writing, I was going to be reading. So I wanted to make sure it was right. So I carefully looked over the teletype stories. I had a five-minute newscast to fill, so I had to come up with five minutes of stories, which is approximately 10 stories because you're going to do about 30 seconds per story. You know, if you have a really good one, you might go a minute on it. But you're really just reading the headlines for those five minutes and a little in-depth analysis of it. 
So I remember sitting down and typing my stuff out. And uh, you have special kind of paper so you'd know how long each story was. It had marks on the paper where it showed the 30-second mark and the 60-second mark on the sheet of paper. And so if you typed down to the 30-second mark as you were typing, you'd know you've, you knew you'd have 30 seconds of, of airtime as long as you were reading at a reasonable pace. Now, when you're a nervous young college student, you're probably going to read a little quicker than you might otherwise read. So you have to account for that and put in a couple of extra lines to make sure that you're filling the 30 seconds for each story. Because you don't want to come up 30 seconds short on your five-minute newscast. Otherwise, you have to figure something out to do for those 30 seconds. So I wrote up my stories, and I got ready to go out uh, on the air. Well, go out on the air. Go on the air. I had to go into a little news booth. And it's, as you've seen on some TV shows, it was exactly that. It's a little tiny room with glass all around you, a big microphone in front of you, and a red light just above your panel, which is similar to one above the disc jockey's panel. And the disc jockey would be ready to cue you when it was 6 o'clock. You'd be watching the clock go because as soon as that second hand hit the top, the radio station call signals would be sent out, WCCR, and then you'd go. And I remember that. To this day, I remember those final seconds before the countdown because I was fresh out of high school and I was still the nervous kid from high school. I was still the shy, introverted kid. I had moved to Ohio to go to school and I had gone away to a place nobody knew me. So I was trying to reinvent myself as I've talked about before. This was the new me. I was going to start with a clean slate. So nobody knew that I was the shy, introverted kid. But I did. So I'm sitting behind a microphone ready to go live for maybe 10 people. But in my mind, there was millions of people out there. But, you know, at a college radio station, how many people are up at six o'clock in the morning? Really? I mean, not many. But in my mind, the world was listening to me. And all of a sudden, the butterflies started going in my stomach. And I started finding myself really nervous and my palms were sweaty. And all of a sudden, it felt really hot in that room. I wasn't sick, but I, I was not far. <laughs> I was not far from, from getting ready to run out of that booth. But I knew that I couldn't because I was the guy for the next five minutes. So I remember watching that second hand, and it seemed to slow down as it was getting closer to 12. Like, like the time was never going to come. And it was like tick, tick. so slow. And I was saying, oh, it's, uh, it's coming, it's coming. And it was, it was as if everything was moving in slow motion and the butterflies were churning and my hands were getting sweatier and the, I could feel the perspiration popping out on my brow. And it was, it was just a moment of sheer panic before that second hand hit the 12. And then the second hand passed to the 12. The DJ hit the calls WCCR, and I was on. And I didn't screw it up. I, to this day, do not remember what the newscast was about. I don't remember a single story on it. I don't remember a single word that I said. But I do remember getting through it. And I do remember getting a thumbs up from the DJ. And I do remember getting through the next two newscasts because I had to do 6 a.m., 7 a.m., and 8 a.m. 
And it was such a good feeling. It was like, ooh, wow, I was on the air. And in my mind, millions of people are listening to me. It was probably 10 people who were getting up early to study and maybe a custodian over at the Arts and Sciences building. But in my mind, I had just had my moment. And it was glorious. And I loved it. I loved it. And I looked forward to every newscast after that. I finished out the semester volunteering for the news, uh, the newscasts at the radio station. Uh, and I did not stay with it. I did not stay with it, not because I didn't like it, but because I decided to change majors. And that, as I said, is a story for another podcast. But what got into my blood was the feeling of being on the air. Oh, my goodness. I had such a good time with it. It was, it was great. It was, it was an adrenaline rush. And I enjoyed it so much. Now, that was just being a newscaster. I didn't even think about becoming a disc jockey or anything like Howard Stern, a shock jock, or anything aside from the guy who'd, st- who'd sit behind the glass and read the news. That, to me, that was the ultimate for me at that point in time. But because I changed majors, it was something that was off the table for me at that point. So I finished up college, and I never did go back to the radio station, but I always had the feeling that I liked it. And I was thinking, hmm, you know, I really should try to figure out a way to get into radio. I didn't major in radio. I didn't major in telecommunications. um, But it was something that was always in the back of my head. Now, fast forward to when I got out of school, and the radio bug was still with me. And at this time, Howard Stern, who I mentioned earlier, had just moved to New York. And I would listen to him do afternoon drive time in New York City. And boy, did he sound like he was having a good time. Yeah, he was raunchy. And yeah, he was edgy. And yeah, he did some really wacky stuff. But he was appealing to me. And I thought he was great. I thought he was amazing and funny and creative. And he just did stuff that I never thought could ever be done on the air. It was really entertaining to listen to. Now... I didn't have any aspirations to be Howard Stern. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not the kind of person that he is. But the kind of fun that he was having, the kind of things that he was doing, the kind of creativity that he was expressing on the air, that stuff that appealed to me. So I started trying to figure out how I could get into radio. By the way, if you've never heard Howard Stern, or if you don't know his origin story, I highly recommend the movie Private Parts. Uh, It details pretty closely what he did, how he got into radio, and how he became what he has become after almost 40 years in the business. So I highly recommend that movie just because it gives you a kind of a background of what radio used to be like back in the in the late 70s and the early 80s and what created the Howard Stern persona and really kind of what led me down the road that I eventually walked when I got my way into radio. But yeah, Private Parts is definitely worth a watch. It's also a really good movie. It really is. It's entertaining and fun and funny. So there's your movie recommendation as a little bit of a side road from the podcast today. But anyway, getting back to how I got into radio. I wasn't working in radio at the time. I was actually uh, working in retail and also driving limos. I was working two jobs out of school because I didn't, I hadn't landed a, a quote unquote real job after I got out of school. I was still looking. Job markets have always been tough and I didn't find anything that really appealed to me at the time. So I was working a couple of jobs to keep money on the, keep money in my pocket and food on the table and a roof over my head. But one of the things that I wanted to try to do while I was working these jobs 
is find a way into radio. Turns out that there was a radio station near where I was living at the time. Uh, It was another college radio station, but they were looking to fill DJ shifts. I went up to the school, and I was out of school at the time, but they were taking anybody who was a resident uh, who was willing to work for free to fill these shifts. Now, this was something that I really wanted to do. And here's a tip for anything that you're really interested in, whether it's writing, whether it's radio, no matter what it is, if you can get your foot in the door, even if you have to do it for free for a little while, don't do it for free for the rest of your life. But if you volunteer your services, get yourself in the door, show how worthy you are of being there, it'll open doors for you. So that's what I did at this radio station. This was WNTI. I don't even know if they're still around, but I volunteered at WNTI. And they needed some weekend coverage. So I was volunteering my weekend Saturday nights and Sunday nights to do some radio work. Now, the radio work was really just being a DJ on an FM college station. And again, not millions of people listening to me. Probably 10 or 12 people getting ready for their Saturday nights were listening to me on the radio. But it was live radio. I had to learn how to, at this time, queue up a record on a turntable because this is what we used to work with. It wasn't digitized like it is now. It's not like you could just point and click on a computer screen. What you actually had to do was pull a record out of the sleeve. This is the vinyl record that you see in the stores now. This is all there was at the time. You would pull the vinyl record out of the sleeve and put it on a turntable. Now, at some of the bigger stations with certain records, certain hit songs, because you would play them so often, you would take the record and record it onto what's called a cart which is a cartridge of tape, and you would have the record on a tape. And the reason you would do that, well, one of the reasons, is to make it easily accessible, but also so you don't wear the record out. Because if you play a record 100 times during a course of a week, and if you're a top 40 radio station, it's very, very conceivable that you could play the number one song in the country 100 times in a week, at least. So you would have it on a tape cart because it would not ruin the record playing it a hundred times. You would just hit the button and start the tape cart a hundred times. But at this radio station that I started at, we didn't have any equipment like that. We had two turntables. The uh, two turntables were hooked up into one master board and you learned how to shift between the tables so that you'd have a record ready to go on turntable one. And when that record was done, You would fade the sound out of that one and start the sound on the second one, and you'd turn the sound up. You'd fade in on turntable two. And then, while turntable two was spinning, you would go back to turntable one, pull that record off, put the next record on, cue that up, and be ready so you'd be switching between turntables all shift. In between that, you'd have to get your copy ready for any commercial reads that you had to do. You would get your commercial cartridges ready if you had those, and you would have commercial breaks set out on the sheet that showed you what your duties were for that shift. Generally, shifts would be, depending on the radio station, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. You'd have a set break at the end of each set, which would be 10 minutes or 20 minutes, and then you'd run your commercials, and then you'd start your music again. And that's what I learned to do. The other thing that I learned to do was talk up a record. Back in those days, and it depends again on the radio station and what the program director wanted, but talking up a record is the art of being able to talk over the musical intro to a record and stop your talking at the post. The post was either the first hard drum beat or the first uh, change of pace in the song or 
the first vocal of the song, depending on what kind of song it was. And actually, um, I would talk up some records now, but it's kind of a boring thing to hear somebody practice talking up a record. I was thinking about doing that. All right, let's put a record on and uh, let's talk it up and hit the post. But if you go back to the beginning of the podcast and you listen, you will hear that the little drops that I put in, I cue them up so that they hit the post. So when the drums kick in at the beginning of this uh, podcast, you'll hear on this particular episode, the Bugs Bunny drop will end right when the drum beat kicks in. That's called hitting the post. And that's what I learned to do at this internship that I created for myself volunteering at this college radio station. But again, nobody taught me that. I listened to other DJs both at that radio station and at commercial radio stations out of New York City. And I learned, oh, that's, you talk up the record, you hit the post. Oh, I get it. Okay. So I was putting this stuff together and learning as I did this volunteer internship, for lack of a better term. Now, what I did during this internship, um, aside from learning the trade, was do air checks of myself. And I would have a, a, a little boom box next to because there was no facilities at this radio station to do it. So I brought my own boombox in and I'd have it next to the console and I would play the cassette. I'd, I'd hit record and play the cassette through the entire air shift and I'd record everything that I did. Because back in those days, this is how you created uh, an air check that you would send out to radio stations. You would record yourself on the air, then you would go back and edit it and just take out the songs and keep your vocal part in the parts where you were talking up the records or reading your copy or whatever you were doing, and you would send that edited tape to various radio stations. So that's what I did. Now, I don't have any of the original air checks anymore. I looked around. I don't have any of my early stuff anywhere. Maybe in the bottom of a box somewhere there's a cassette tape, maybe because I remember saving some of them, but over the years, those are gone as far as I know. But I do remember listening to them years later and saying, what the hell was I thinking? I do not know how I got a job off those early air checks, but I eventually did. The job that I got was at a local radio station, WRNJ. That was in uh, Hackettstown, New Jersey. And uh, I, I got a job there working weekends to start. And just like any radio job, you work your way into the door and then you just make yourself available. And actually, as a tip for any job you're in, get yourself in the door Make yourself available and prove yourself indispensable. And sooner or later, they'll catch on that they want you around. You do everything that you're supposed to do and then some, and you do it well. And all of a sudden, they like having you around and more opportunities open themselves up. And that's exactly what happened to me at WRNJ. I started working weekends. Then they decided to make a change in the afternoons. So they asked me if I would like an afternoon shift and they offered to pay me a full-time salary to work afternoons. And I said, okay, sign me up because that's what I was waiting for. That's what I wanted. And I got rid of the two other jobs that I was working and I had my first radio job full-time afternoons at WRNJ. And it was great. I loved it. I had a great time doing afternoons. And I did that for about six months. And as often happens in radio, the radio station decided to make some changes again. The guy who did the morning shows was also the program director. And I never knew the internal politics that went behind this decision. I never knew exactly what happened. But that guy either left or was fired. But whatever happened to him, 
the general manager and owner of the radio station, called me into his office and offered me the job of program director, which is the guy who picks the music to go on the air, which is the guy who works with sales to schedule commercials and advertising, which is really the face and voice of the station in a small town like I was in at the time. So they offered me the job of program director and morning man. Now, morning drive is the shift that every DJ who has ever wanted to be a DJ wants to have. If you have any kind of personality, if you have any kind of creativity, if you want to be the guy at the radio station, you want the morning drive shift. And they were offering it to me. And of course I said yes. Of course I said yes. God, I wanted to be the morning drive guy. Good Lord, did I want to be the morning drive guy. That was the job that I was waiting for. And they gave it to me. And so I got to do stuff. I got to do bits and weather and reads and trivia contests and all kinds of stuff. I got to have skits and I got to do bits and it was just so much fun. And I created such an environment that it was so enjoyable to go to work. Yes, there was politics. And yes, I had to be at the radio station at six o'clock in the morning, actually earlier because the shift started at six. So you had to be there in time for the shift. And it was a four hour shift. So we were 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. every day. That does throw your social schedule off a little bit because to be at the radio station at 6 a.m., you do have to be, you do have to get up a tiny bit earlier than 6 a.m., just a wee bit. But I did it, man, because that was the job that I wanted. Now, there are a lot of things that I did. I created uh, a fractured fairy tales kind of thing where I would take jokes and I would script them out and I would have people do voices for me and I'd drop in sound effects. And I had a great time with that. And uh, we we did um, call-in trivia contests where the local sponsors would offer up prizes and I would have people call in with answers to trivia questions. Now, the great prizes were the local Burger King giving us a Whopper, fries, and a drink for a prize for a trivia contest. Or I remember Cactus Jack would give us gift certificates for his restaurant. Cactus Jack was a local hamburger joint. He sold hamburgers and fries, and I don't remember what else, but his name was Cactus Jack, and he was just a lot of fun to have bring his gift certificates by the radio station. We did interviews, which were really commercials, but they were interview-type commercials where I would talk to the local realtors, and they would tell us about the properties on uh, that were available for sale that week. So that was one of the bits that I did. And one of the other things that I created was an environment on the radio station where where people felt comfortable calling in and being a part of things. One of the bits that I've been able to salvage a little bit, and that's what I'm going to play next, is a bit, I, I never met this man. He called in several times. His name, well, the name he gave was Clyde. And Clyde would call in and he would have some amusing stories or amusing anecdotes or some joke that he would tell. And I was more than happy to play the straight man to his jokes. So (laughs) this bit, and I remember this call. It just came out of the blue one day. I hadn't heard from Clyde in a while. And Clyde called me up. And well, this is that phone call. And I apologize ahead of time uh, for the quality I've done everything I can to try to clean it up as best I can. So I hope you can hear it. But it he was a great guy. And I, I remember him to this day. And this is the kind of fun we would have on the air. Good morning, WRJ. Good morning, David. Yes, how are you, sir? Claude, I just, you haven't heard from me lately. I've been on vacation. I just thought I'd tell you I'm back home now. Well, we miss you. I figured that. <laughs> 
went out my time period getting the Mojave Desert out there what I bought last year. Uh-huh. And I was surprised when I got there. They hadn't built the place up yet, but they did give me a tent next to a big cactus <laughs> and a canteen of water. I thought maybe you need a vacation. I got two weeks again coming up in December. I'd be willing to, to share with you stuff if you want to go out there. Two weeks in the Mojave. Mm, sounds almost too good to pass up. Well, they tell me in about five years they're going to build some kind of a hotel. But right now the tent is pretty nice. <laughs> now, <laughs> Clyde, Clyde still makes me laugh. A tent in the Mojave Desert is just the perfect timeshare. It just fit into the style of the show that I was running at the time. He, he got it. He was one of those guys who just got it. So I enjoyed having him call in. Uh, and I had other people who would call in and just want to chat and tell me how much they enjoyed the show. And it was just a very relatable kind of morning show. We really had a good time with it. One of the other things that I did, and I've talked about Melvin Proctor several times. Melvin Proctor was another creation of mine at the radio station. Uh, I had totally forgotten about this bit that I've saved. This is on one of the tapes that I, that I dug out of storage. Uh, and the quality on this bit is also not nearly as good as I would like it to be. I've tried to amplify it and clean it up and take out some of the, the mud that's clogging it up. So I hope you can make it out. But this is a sample of Melvin Proctor, uh, whose voice I created, whose helicopter I created, all in a studio by getting sound effects together and um, using my voice at a slightly higher pitch and accelerated pace. And the result is this kind of bit. Good morning, Mel. Good morning, Daniel. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. And yourself? Oh, I'm fine. Good. I got my first bills for the Christmas season yesterday. Yep, credit card bills came. Well, sounded an awful good mood this morning. Oh, I am in a good mood. See, what happened is that my wife's credit cards were stolen about a month ago. Oh, really? Well, God, Mel, I hope you afforded it. Please. Oh, no, I didn't afford it because the guy has spent less than she normally does. So it's a rough deal. I don't mind at all. And as far as the road situation out there this morning, Dave... Again, I do apologize for the quality. I did fade that out because the quality is bad, but I did want to get at least the punchline of the joke. And uh, what Mel would do, <laughs> and I talk about Mel like he's a different person. Mel is me. That's my voice. And I just recorded one voice and played against it uh, in the studio when I would record those bits. But Mel would come on in the WRNJ helicopter and uh, he would tell a joke, and I would play the straight man to the joke. And the joke in this case, in case you didn't get the punchline, is that his wife's credit card was stolen. And uh, I asked him if he had reported it, and he said, no, of course not, because the guy who stole it has spent less than she did. So that was our joke, and that was our bit. And Melvin would make regular appearances on the show as well, and people always looked forward to Melvin Proctor being on the air. Melvin I still I still believe Melvin is out there flying around somewhere in North Jersey looking for another traffic jam to report on. Uh, but people actually did believe that Melvin Proctor was a regular guy. And I would have people call up the station and ask me where the WRNJ helicopter was. And I would always tell them, well, Melvin's out in the helicopter. That's why you can't see it. Uh, but people legitimately believe that Melvin was part of our staff and Melvin will always be a part of my heart because he was such a genuine character. And I, I just had a great time working with Melvin Proctor at WRNJ. I believe if I'm not mistaken, 
that um, Mr. Agador might be related to Melvin Proctor. So those of you who know Mr. Agador Agador from the Twitch stream, you're probably listening to a close relative of Melvin Proctor. So that's my radio story, guys. There's not much more to tell about my radio career. The high point was at WRNJ. I left WRNJ um, after a couple of years because the thing that I learned in radio is just like baseball managers... Radio disc jockeys and program managers are hired to be fired. And that's what happened to me. After about two years of having me on the air, uh, the general manager and the owner of the station came through and essentially fired everybody. The news guy in the morning was gone. I was gone. The afternoon guy was gone. Everybody was gone. They wanted to change the sound of the station, and so they did. And when you're the owner of the radio station, you get to do that. I did uh, uh, land a couple of other radio jobs Uh, down the road. I worked weekends at WMTR. I did some overnights, which is not nearly as much fun as doing mornings. Because the overnight guy is the guy who goes, it's one o'clock in the morning and here's some more love songs on WMTR. And that's the kind of thing you do. It was not what I was trying to do. The other thing that I discovered is once you're done in one local market in an area like northern New Jersey, you really have to go someplace else, like not southern Jersey, but Indiana or South Carolina. You just have to make a big move. And I wasn't really in the mood to make a big, big move. I, I, I didn't want to be moving all over the country. That was the hard truth that I learned about radio, is I didn't want to live like a vagabond all of my life. I didn't want to spend two years in Indianapolis and three years in Detroit, and then four years in Washington. I wanted to have roots somewhere. So that's one of the reasons that I didn't go back into radio. But things did turn out for me. And that's also a story for another episode of the podcast. But for now, that's the radio story. I wanted to let you know that that's where it all came from. That's where my, uh, that's where my desire to be you know, a storyteller and an entertainer came from because I had such a good time doing it in radio. And I'm glad that I have that experience because it gives me it gives me something to use in these podcasts. It gives me the ability to tell stories and to put sounds together and to craft kind of an environment and an atmosphere that I hope you guys enjoy. I really do enjoy it myself, and I'm glad you guys listen as much as you do. I really do appreciate your support. I really do appreciate you being here, and I can't thank you enough for continuing to listen. You guys are amazing, and thank you for being here for yet another episode of Storytime. We're going to do another one soon. Until then, take care of yourselves, and I will see you when I see you.